I've waited a long time for this moment, but I never thought you'd make it so easy for me to get my final revenge. Hello, hello, hello. This is me and my friend Pete, the podcast that explores all things The Amazing Spider-Man. I'm your host, Gerald. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If it isn't, welcome, 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 welcome back. This week, we're running through Amazing Spider-Man number 11, Turning Point. If you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe, and review as your opinions, both good and bad, matter not only to me, but the curious folks outside of our listening community who may be swayed by your opinions to join in. Shout out to the right minders, the big three, the key keepers, and the high council. To you, I say I see you, and I thank you for your support. And to you all, I say, a brother's love is a brother's love. But his deeds are hateful. We've got the Brant siblings beholden to the brutish whims of Blackie Gaxton. We've got slap fights and slugfest on a schooner on the Schuylkill. And we've got the return of the maniacal master menace with mechanical arms, none other than Dr. Otto Octavius, Dr. Octopus himself. And we've got me, we've got you, we've got no further ado. We've got the amazing Spider-Man number 11, Turning Point. Me and my best friend Pete. Old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns. Kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend P. So before I jump into The Amazing Spider-Man number 11, I just want to touch on Strange Tales number 119 that was released in April, also of 1964. So we had a Spidey guest appearance. I said I'd do my best to try to track him so we know what's going on. So I'll just give a quick rundown. In Strange Tales number 119, Spidey shows up in a great Johnny the Human Torch tale. Johnny, at odds with his ex-girlfriend who begins dating someone else, faces off against a villain named the Rabble Rouser whose superpower is inciting ill feelings and sapping people's willpower with a will wand. He also owns a land submarine. Look, it was the 60s. Anyway, Spidey drops by into the story on a web parachute and he and the torch have a brief exchange. Spidey says, hi, Smokey boy. I just heard the rabble rouser. You sure aren't on his most popular list, son. Son him. He goes on to say, I'm an old hand at having people pan me, so I thought I could give you a few tips on how to keep it from getting your goat and, but before Spidey can finish, Torch snaps. Surrounding the webhead in the ring of fire, he screams, when I need help from you, sonny boy, that'll be the day. Now crawl back under your stone before I really lose my temper. You know, like I know, Spidey wants no part of that. He remembers the beach, so he gets out of there. And that was his guest appearance this month. He tried to be a good friend. Torch got him off the wanted list. Spidey tried to cheer him up. What I learned reading this one, Johnny's got hands. He's a great defensive fighter, stays low, strikes quick. People always dousing his fires. He had to learn to judo chop. There are no chops in judo. So back to the credits on the amazing Spider-Man number 11. We have writing smiling Stan Lee. On art, we have swinging Steve Ditko. And this masterpiece was lettered by Sam Goesham Rosen. The cover of this amazing Spider-Man gives me nostalgia vibes. The logo, the amazing Spider-Man, is written in yellow with red beneath the word Spider-Man on a midnight blue backdrop. This logo reminds me a lot of the 90s cartoon Spidey logo because these are the same colors exactly. So I'm already loving the issue, loving it already. The stage is set in the lower deck of a ship. To the right of the page cast in a light brown hue are stairs or ladders for sailors out there. Rivets are lining the bulkheads. There's a solitary porthole on the bulkhead. There's a floor grate near the ladders and the whole deck is lime green. The passageway will be cast completely in shadow if there weren't a yellow spotlight shining on the two people battling beneath it. We see Spidey is now 0 for 2 in covers when he's facing off against the one-man hands team, Dr. Octopus. In this one, we find Spidey sitting on the floor of the deck, his back pressed against the bulkhead. His right hand is pressed flat against the deck. He's staring up at Dr. Octopus, who, wearing a green turtleneck, SJBs and brown loafers, is using three of his metal arms for balance on the deck and is lunging towards Spidey. He's holding Spider-Man's right wrist with his right hand, not a metal arm. Doc Ock was putting in work wherever he was because he is jacked. He's reaching towards Spidey with his left hand and his bicep is fighting to burst out of its sleeve. So he's put on some muscle. He's not kidding around anymore. On his face, behind his wayfarer glasses, he's scowling beneath bushy eyebrows and a bowl haircut. His mouth is open in a dangerous sneer. His jowls are poking out. His double chin too. He looks crazed and I don't blame him at all. All those arms and Spidey still gave him the How you doing? 
Doc Ock's free metal arm is curving above Spidey's head. This is a beautiful cover. There's a red screen bubble above them heralding the long-awaited return of Dr. Octopus. Behind Dr. Octopus, we get a pink caption box. It says, Turning point. See what happens when Spider-Man decides to reveal his secret identity to someone else. Will he really do it? Will this be the turning point of his amazing career? Or? But why not turn these pages and learn for yourself in this classic tale told in the marvelous Marvel manner? Beneath Dr. Octopus's suspended leg, another spectacular smash hit from the House of Ideas. With all this excitement, I'm turning the page. We get the sign of the spider, Spidey's name curving along the inside edges of the logo, as always, in a goldenrod negative space. Whenever I see goldenrod on the page one, I get excited. I think it's Pavlovian. Exciting things happen when goldenrod is in the mix. Next to the Spidey sign, we see the title of this issue. Turning point in red and beneath it, featuring the return of Dr. Octopus. In the background, a large gray shadow of Dr. Octopus. There's a white spotlight behind it set on a robin's egg blue. The shadow's arms are all curling in towards Ock's shadow, which extend down the wall onto the purple floor and off the page. In the center of the page, we see the golden liability. He's standing in profile, his left side facing us, his right leg slightly out in front of him, a little contraposto action, as none other than Betty Brant slams her fist into his chest. So Spidey's standing here suited and booted, and Betty is pounding on his chest. She is stunning in a green blouse with triangle hemming along the wrist, a yellow belt across her waist with loop designs matching the scarf wrapping her neck perfectly. She's wearing a yellow skirt, green heels, and black dangling earrings. There are tears running down her cheeks as she screams, I hate you, Spider-Man. I'll hate you till the day I die. I don't think Betty knows comic characters live a long time if they're golden. Or maybe she does, and that's some hatred. Behind Spidey, we see a large yellow question mark. Inside of it, the writing says, Is Spider-Man destined to lose Betty Brant, the girl he loves? How did it happen? And why? And as always, you got Silver Age Marvel, you got horn tooting. None but Stan Lee could have written this epic tale. None but Steve Ditko could have drawn such gripping scenes. So now we're in a convent of the impossible as the Mighty Marvel Comics group says, None but the Mighty Marvel Comics group could have produced a book-length thriller such as this. Y'all know I'm co-signing. They're telling us Dr. Octopus returned. They're telling us Betty Brant's secret is inside. They're saying we're going to see Spidey's greatest victory and greatest disappointment. Marvel's talking a big game right now, putting a lot of pressure on the kid from Forest Hills. But pressure busts pipes and makes diamonds. So let's see what the golden liabilities got in them. Here we go. The story opens with a caption box. A world-famous superhero doesn't spend all his time fighting deadly menaces. There are moments he spends alone, deep in thought, mulling over the past and pondering the future. Such a superhero is Spider-Man, and such a moment is this. And we see Pete's bedroom. In the foreground, we see his chemistry set, stage left, and in table stage right, there's a radiator in the background next to a window with orange curtains. In the center of the room, we see Pete, suited and booted except for his mask and gloves, sitting on a gray wooden chair, his shoulders slouched. He's lamenting the loss of Betty Brant, who left town last issue in ASM number 10. You know we have the story here, that's BCC, Dr. C.K. Connors, How to Plan, here on Me and My Friend Pete back too. So Pete's thinking, ever since Betty Brett left town, I've been carrying a king-sized torch. I've got to snap out of it. Got to try to forget her. Aw, uh, who am I kidding? I'll never forget her. Never stop searching for her. The kid loves her and he says he'll never forget her. He'll never stop searching for her. He wishes he had a clue to go on to find her when his thoughts are interrupted by the radio on the end table. We interrupt our program for a bulletin. Having served his full prison term, the notorious Dr. Octopus is to be released today. Dr. Octopus, if you recall in ASM number three, the We Didn't Start the Fire episode here on Me and My Friend Pete, kidnapped three people, that's a mandatory minimum of five years each, possibly killed another and recklessly endangered countless more, that's up to seven years in prison, more if that poor guy close to the reactor died, and destroyed public governmental property, which if the damage is over $100, is a fine of up to $250,000 and 10 years in prison. All these numbers are from justice.gov. Man was looking to face at least 32 years in prison and was only hit with eight months. I'm guessing it was for good behavior, so he must be downright saintly behind bars. But Pete's remembering when the man wasn't. The next panel, we see Pete straight on, a look of shock in his eyes as he remembers his bout with Dr. Octopus. He thinks, Dr. Octopus to be released? They can't do it. They mustn't. He's one of the most dangerous men alive. Even I, with all my power, came close to being defeated by him. And we get a flashback panel to the tense moment when Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man scrap back in issue number three. We see the one-man hands team, his fleshy hands to his face, fighting to remove the webbing on his Ray-Bans. His mechanical arms are out in front of him, two melted together, wrapped around the waist of the webhead, smoking. And Spidey is fighting to control the other two with his hands. The moment just before Spidey put him down, the memory of the fight is enough to shock Pete out of his macabre state. He grabs his mask and gloves and, suited and booted, 
gets in go mode. Within seconds. Spidey is crawling up the outside of his Forest Hills home, telling himself he's got to prevent Dr. Octopus from being freed. In the final panel, great panel, we see Spidey web swinging high above Queens, and he's saying it's great to be on the go again, that this is just what he needed. Spidey is on the move. Moments later at the municipal prison. Spidey is high above the prison, walking easily on a thin wire, as he does, searchlights spinning beneath him as he thinks he's the only person who ever tried breaking into a prison. And Spidey's right, this is a long time before prison break hit the airwaves. Next, a gray-haired man in a brown suit is standing at his desk, his body slightly hunched in alarm. He screams, Spider-Man! In shock, as the sign of the spider illuminates the wall next to his bookshelf. Spidey screams, Warning! You gotta prevent Dr. Octopus' release! He must not be set free! While crawling into the room from the window. Resting near a picture on the wall, Spidey continues, Sorry to break in this way, but I didn't want to waste a minute! Is he still behind bars? And the warden, probably Big Brass Davis' older brother, isn't swayed by Spidey's warning. Pointing towards the open window, he says, Yes, but he leaves tonight. We can't hold him. He served his time. As for you, I'll give you 10 seconds to leave the way you entered. No masked adventurer dictates the law while I'm warden here. Gave Spidey 10 seconds to get out of there. I respect that truly because my idea of wardens comes from my studies in sociology and I find they're much closer to Warden Norton from Shawshank Redemption than the guy we see here protecting the rights of an inmate set to be released. We know he's completely wrong in this instance, but the majority of imprisoned folks absolutely deserve this mentality. I respect it. Back to the next panel, we see the one-man hands team in a brown-walled, orange-doored prison cell. Both his fleshy fists clenched, his mechanical arms curling out at his sides. He's wearing prison greens with the collar popped around his neck, and as always, his Ray-Bans. He's pacing back and forth in front of his sink, and we know Doc Ock doesn't monologue out loud. He's thinking, Glad I was smart enough not to try to escape. I knew I'd get time off for good behavior. Now they can't hold me any longer. The next panel, we see Doc Ock hasn't just been sitting idly around in his cell. Standing in a golden rod negative space, he continues. I was able to spend all my time improving my dexterity with my extra arms. I can use them so well now that I'll never be captured again. And he's not kidding. His fleshy hands on his hips, we see his metal arms working. Going forward, I think we should label them for storytelling purposes. So we'll call his right metal arms R1 for the upper, R2 for the lower, and his left L1 and L2 for the same. So the one-man hands team is standing here exhaling smoke from a cigarette held in R1 that was lit by a match with L1 as R2 holds a pack of cigarettes. He's showing a great amount of control here and I know it doesn't bode well for the young web slinger. And Pete knows it too. Later, back home again, Spider-Man changes to his everyday identity as Peter Parker, teenage science buff, as he works on a peculiar device. And we see Pete at his workstation, hunched over, his Spidey costume still on, minus his mask and gloves. He's staring through a magnifying glass at a raised platform on his workstation. His left and right hands are holding what I assume are a soldering iron and tweezers. And we hear Spidey is taking no chances. He says, I guess the warden was right. A man can't be kept in jail longer than his sentence. Everyone deserves a second chance. But just the same, this little gizmo I cooked up will help me keep tabs on Doc Ock. Just in case. I don't personally like the idea of surveilling anyone, but Pete ain't the watchman and I trust his judgment. Great power. You already know the rest. Page 4 opens to a close-up of Spidey's new device. We get a great shot through the magnifying glass of a small metal spider, as Spidey from off-panel says it's a detailed replica of a live spider with a few adjustments, namely the transistorized circuitry he's included. Pete holds up a square device that has an antenna poking out of its face on the right side in the next panel. It's the size of the palm of his hand and we see the antenna on it light up at the same time that the small spider he created now on the ceiling does. It says no matter where the little spider is, it'll send back coded messages to him that he'll be able to follow through his receiver. My people, we got the first appearance of the spider tracer. One of my favorite things about Doc Ock is he forces Spidey to keep pushing himself with his hands and his mind to new heights. Fun fact, Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man and one of the foremost geniuses in the Marvel 616 universe, believes Spider-Man is a hell of a lot smarter than he is because Hank Pym created the same device for his Ant-Man helmet at a much later age than Pete did at 15. Game recognizes game. Back to the next panel, we see Pete isn't wasting any time. Pulling his mask down over his face, a smile on his lips at his own genius, he says now his only problem is finding a way to attach the spider tracer to Dr. Octopus but knows Spidey can get it done. The next panel, we see the one-man hand seen exiting the prison, a guard standing behind him in a blue uniform, wearing a SJB fedora with a black brim, a matching tie, and a beautiful JJP colored suit. Dr. Octopus is stepping back out into the world, fresh to death. Both his fleshy fists clenched, he's walking past the guard in the background, and his mechanical arms are working. L1 is adjusting the fedora on his head. 
L2 is holding a cigarette out in front of him. R1 is buttoning his suit jacket and R2 holding his carrying bags. Octopus is not using his real hands at all. The police officer tells Dr. Octopus that he has talent, so it shouldn't be hard for him to land a job, as long as he keeps his nose clean. Otto Octavius, 008, has no plans on doing any of that. He thinks, a job. Do they expect me to become a working man like an ordinary, unimaginative weakling before I'm through? The whole world will tremble at the mention of my name. My man is doom monologuing in his mind. I love it. His internal monologue is undefeated. I imagine beneath that thought, he's thinking, I'm a whole different animal now. I was the foremost atomic researcher. What can I expect with the label of ex-con in these recidivism rates? The next panel, we see Otto Octavius walking towards a yellow car that resembles a 60s taxi cab. The driver of the car says they've arrived just like they promised they would in the letter. Octavius says good, he's anxious to get started. Spidey, suited, booted, and taking no chances, lands on the trunk of a nearby tree thinking he arrived just in time. He notices that the driver of the car is a girl and wonders who it could be. The next panel, we see none other than Betty Brant in the driver's seat. She's wearing a green trench coat with the collar pops, large white earrings, a yellow scarf, and white driving gloves. She has her head down in anger and disgust as Dr. Octopus climbs into the car. And the look on his face? The thirstiest. He's leering at Betty like he's never seen a girl before. Betty tells him to get comfortable because it's a long drive, while Spidey, off panel, is in complete shock. He hasn't seen Betty for almost a month, and now she's popped back up as the first man to give him a hard L chauffeur. I think pissed is an understatement. Shocked too. He thinks, it, it's Betty, but what's her connection with Dr. Octopus? In the final panel, the car pulls away from the curb towards the edge of the page, and Spidey gives chase through the trees. He notices that a map fell from the car and thinks that Betty is driving away too fast for him to follow. But Spidey's been inventing and he knows that this is the perfect time to do some new product testing. Five opens to a beautiful panel of Spidey hurling a spider tracer towards the yellow car saying it's easy to get a perfect toss with his spider strength. And he's right. Does Spidey get the hit? Of course he gets the hit. In the next panel, we see the small gray spider stick onto the roof of the car above the rear passenger door. As the car speeds away from Spidey, the caption box above the next panel reads, And so... Unaware of the strange object on top of the car, Betty Brant drives off into the night with her sinister passenger as our little cast of characters come closer to their date with destiny. Meantime, Spidey bends down to scoop up the map that fell from the car, and as always, he's giving the game away. He says, It's a map of Philadelphia, and the car had pencil license plates. That must be their destination. Well, Spidey boy, it looks like you're going to take a trip too. I've got to see this through to the end. Spidey boy's headed to the city of brotherly love, and that's good. I hear it's always sunny there. Our scene now changes to the city of brotherly love where we find an attorney visiting his client in jail. Or maybe not. We're staring through prison bars at two men in shadow talking in a cell. One, stage right, is wearing a green prison jumpsuit much like Dr. Octopus's. The other, stage left, a light brown suit. The man in the prison jumpsuit says, Well, Brent, did your sister do as I told her? I hope so, mister. For your sake. And the other replies, Don't worry, Blackie. She's probably driving Dr. Octopus back to Philly right now. Betty wouldn't let me down. So this is Betty's brother. What has he gotten her mixed up into? In the final panel, we see the men named Blackie and Brant up close. Blackie is the spitting image of Groucho Marx in the movie Skidoo, but nothing here is a laughing matter. He grabs Brant, a blonde-haired, long-chinned man with large earlobes by the collar, and slams him up against the wall of the cell, saying, She better not. That gambling debt you owe me is already past due, and you know what my boys do to Welchers, don't you, Brant? And Brant starts flop sweating immediately. He says, I know, Blackie. I've been your lawyer for too long not to know. I think this is great writing and art. This entire page, down to the precision of the lettering, is beautiful. SNSNS connection right now. Stan, Steve, Sam, working. Blackie lets go of Brant to open page six, telling him he'll cancel his debt when Dr. Octopus breaks Blackie out of jail and not a moment before. He tells Brant to get lost because he has some thinking to do. Brant, fixing his tie, doesn't wait around. We see him exiting the cell block, a guard holding a gate open for him in the next panel, as he walks with his head down, thinking to himself. We find out his first name is Bennett. So Bennett and Betty's parents had a thing for the double B names, I don't hate it, and Bennett was the top dog in his law school. He can't understand how he went from that to a stooge for the biggest mobster on the eastern seaboard. He thinks he just wanted to make easy money and realizes there's no such thing. Worse, now Betty is wrapped up in this dangerous entanglement. Lost in his own rueful thoughts, the gangland mouthpiece reaches his apartment to find... And we see Bennett open the door to his apartment. It's beautifully furnished. We've got a blue accent wall stage left, an orange wall in the background, a bulbous lamp in the foreground stage right. And in the center of the room, we see Dr. Octopus advancing towards Betty, all four of his metallic arms outstretched around her, R2 and L2 gripping her wrist as she backs up into the accent wall behind her. Dr. Octopus has gone from leering to intimidation. 
He says, So, you don't think Dr. Octopus is good enough to talk to you, eh? You haven't said a word since we drove from New York. Betty wants no parts. She screams for him to stay away from her. She says she's done everything asked of her, and now she'd like to go, just as Bennett opens the door to the apartment. She screams, thank goodness. Bennett gets excited that Betty has returned before seeing the doctor gripping Betty's wrist. He screams, say, what's going on? Dr. Octopus, unbothered by the lawyer, grabs him by the collar with L1 in the next panel and backhands him with a fleshy left. He tells Brent that he's heard he's spineless and doesn't make a move without Blackie's okay before telling the lawyer to follow him into the next room to talk business. In the final panel, we see Bennett grab Betty by the shoulders and she's clearly rattled. She asks, Oh, Bennett, now that I've brought him here as I promised Blackie Gaxton, can't you leave? Can't you go somewhere and make a fresh start? Please. Bennett says not yet. Not till Dr. Octopus breaks Blackie out of jail. He promises that if he ever gets free of Blackie, he's going to pay her back for all she's done for him and make her proud. I wonder if Bennett is the guy Betty was talking about in ASM number 9 who reminded her of Pete. She said Pete was getting a thrill from danger and Bennett's running around with 008, the one man hands team and Blackie Gaxton. That's pretty dangerous, but that can't be the reason alone because I agree with Betty. Pete shoots to thrill, but it's with Spidey skills and a whole heck of a lot more bravery than Bennett's shown so far. Seven opens to Betty asking a great question. She's very sharp for a 16 year old as most kids are who find themselves in adult situations. She says if you do the jailbreak, you be an accessory and never be able to go straight. And that's true. Bennett lets her arms go, turns and puts his head down saying, I just can't right now. I haven't the courage. If only I hadn't gotten you mixed up in all this. So he already knows he's in too deep. He goes over into the next room, leaving Betty alone. She takes a seat on a chair in the corner, sobbing, thinking about the position her brother put her in. She gave Bennett all the money she saved working as JJ's secretary to pay off her brother's debts, and it wasn't enough. She thinks it'll never be enough. I guess with the fall of the big man, the debt went back to Blackie. She goes on to think that she had to run away from Peter because she didn't know how to tell him about Bennett, and now she can never return. She wonders where it'll end. Don't lose hope, Betty. There's a lot of story left. Speaking of the Goldenrod Kid, we get a caption box above the next panel letting us know that Peter Parker, the Goldenrod Kid, is planning to find her and figure out what's going on. We see him in the kitchen with Aunt May, just style flaring. He's leaning against the fridge in the kitchen in a light brown vest with black horizontal stripes, SJBs, and brown loafers. He's wearing a white collar shirt with the collar popped. Everyone in this issue popping collars. It's going around. I like it. And Pete's talking to May, who's wearing a purple dress. So Queen May today with a pink frilly collar and apron. In her hand, she has a wooden spoon and a mixing bowl. I think May is baking a cake. Pete says, Aunt May? I'm thinking of taking a little trip this weekend. I've always wanted to visit Philadelphia and see the historical sites. And May says, do it. It'll do you good because you've been listless lately. She tells him she's sorry she can't go with him because she has a lot of things to do here at home. And Pete says he understands. He thinks she'd find it tough keeping up with the golden liability these next few days if she came along anyway. A few minutes later, after a jet from New York lands at the Philadelphia airport. I'm convinced. Spidey just hits the ride on the outside of the plane. We know he can. We've seen him hang on to much faster moving vehicles and there's no way he got to the airport, got a ticket, got through checking and on a seat in a few minutes. New York nor Philly makes things happen like that. JFK is definitely not making that happen for you. LaGuardia is not making that happen for you. So Spidey's the ultimate hitchhiker. We see him web swinging above the city of brotherly love past Philadelphia City Hall, but there's no statue of the founder of Philly, the great William Billy Penn on top, but maybe it was taken down for cleaning. Who knows? Shout out to Billy Penn. As Spidey swings by, you know he's screaming, giving the game away, and does he got a game ahead of him. He says, now all I've got to do is find Betty, see what her connection with Doc Ock is, make sure that he isn't causing any trouble, and be back in New York in time for class Monday morning. That's all. But Spidey works fast, and in no time at all, we see he's covered half the city of Philadelphia while he walks along a chimney stack. But no luck. He says it's a good thing he brought a full supply of wet fluid with him because the search goes on. 20 more minutes pass of Spidey swinging past rooftops before we see him swinging on a web line in the final panel in a goldenrod negative space. Around his neck, we see the small portable receiver for his spider tracer finally begin to activate. The tracer is somewhere nearby. I like this panel a lot. The webbing in this issue has begun to take a turn from just single strands to resemble more of how Spidey's webbing looks today. A little funky, a little all over the place. We turn the page and we're on... The Infinity, 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 Infinity Page. Page 8. Just in time to see Pete, SJB, suit, tan vest, pop collar, find Betty on the Philly street below his girl Friday. He screams... Betty, then it was you. I found you at last. And Betty, still in her yellow and green ensemble, turns hearing his voice. She replies in shock. Peter, you've been searching for me? I never dreamt. 
The next panel, Pete's on Broad Street and his feelings are over on front. Grabbing Betty's shoulders, he tells her he couldn't just let her walk out of his life. She means too much to him. And Betty, a slight smile on her lips, replies, Oh, Peter, what a fool I was. I should have confided in you. Should have told you everything right at the start. I, I need you, Peter. I don't know where to turn. So it's reunited and it feels so good. And then, her trembling voice choked with emotion, Betty tells the boy she loves all about her brother, Blackie Gaxton and Dr. Octopus. Beneath the street lamp, Betty tells Pete she had to drive Dr. Octopus to Philly. It was the only way to keep her brother safe from Blackie Gaxton. Pete tells her none of this is her fault, that Betty did all she could, and he's glad she confided in him because he has some good news for her. The next panel, we get Spider Pete. I won't call him Pete Rock because someone forgot to color in the black around his spidey eye, so it's a little jarring. But Spider Pete tells Betty he's just learned that Spider-Man is in Philly to keep tabs on the one-man hands team so they won't have to worry about Doc Ock or Blackie Gaxton. And Pete sprung seeing Betty again, knowing he can help her. He thinks, I'm just decided. I can't keep it from her any longer. Once we're back in New York, I'm going to tell Betty that I am Spider-Man. My man is going to spill the beans, the Spidey beans. He loves her. She needs to know that the golden liability is the golden rod kid. He is I and I am him. And Betty, I love you and you need to know this. This is where Pete is right now on Broad Street. Feelings on front. I like it. But sometimes fate has other plans for on the other side of town, a strange menacing form swings from roof to roof on a sinister mission. And we see Dr. Octopus, his four mechanical arms stretched between two buildings as he races above the city in a purple shirt and pants combo. In a rare moment of external monologue, he says this task is child's play for Dr. Octopus. And scaling the wall of a separate building in the final panel, we hear why Doc Ock is helping to spring Blackie Gaxton from prison. He says... As soon as I collect the $100,000 which Blackie will pay me for this job, I'll have the stick I need to make myself the king of crime. Nine opens the doctor, puts tearing the iron bars off of Blackie's window as Blackie tells him he knew he was the right man for the job. We get a beautiful panel of Doc Ock using R1 and L1 to scale down the side of the building as Blackie holds on to R2 and L2 like a ladder beneath him. It's great art. And Ock, his ego on perpetually swollen, tells Blackie he was the only man for the job and not to forget it, that he's not a common criminal. I'll vouch for that. And Blackie replies, Sure, Doc, sure. Don't get sore. As soon as we reach my getaway ship in the harbor, you'll get your payoff. Or, don't get your jaw in an uproar. I respect Blackie, showing a wise guy attitude in the face of a megalomaniac. I love to see it. We see Spidey racing towards the prison, high above the city. It's a great panel, cars driving beneath him. And he says he knows Doc Ock is going to try to spring Gaxton while the mobs are still at the courthouse because if Blackie's transferred to the state pen, it'll be a much tougher job. He lands on the roof of the courthouse in the next panel, moments after the alarm has sounded and right into a spotlight shining on him by two prison guards. One screams, look, it's Spider-Man. The other, maybe he's the one who helped Blackie escape. And that's not an unfair assumption. The hell is a New York boy doing in Philly at City Hall during a jailbreak? I don't think they'll believe Spidey if he tells them he has bad luck. He doesn't either. And in a goldenrod negative space, shielding his face from the glare of the spotlight with his right hand, he thinks he has to move fast and black out the spotlight. And I think Spidey is cross-dominant or mixed-handed because we've seen all throughout his journey that he'll lead with the left as Spidey with the web shooters. Here, he sprays a shot at the spotlight with his left hand. Does Spidey get the hit? Of course he gets the hit, and we see webbing douse the spotlight before Spidey leaps off of the rooftop huh. into the final panel. Shooting a line of webbing with his left hand. Your honor, I rest my case. He thinks it's a rotten break that he arrived too late, and he was spotted, so they're probably going to blame him for Blackie's escape. Page 10 opens to Spidey, mid-swing, high above Market Street, and you know how I know he's worried? He screams, suffering spiderwebs, and thinks that Betty's in real danger now. Great danger. She's going to be forced to be around Blackie and Dr. Octopus. And we see Spidey's right. In the next panel, Betty and Bennett are in a room with three of Blackie's goonies, and I love how Ditko's been drawing these random gangsters. The guy on stage left, orange blazer, gray fedora, puffing a cigarette, looks like he's been struck square in the face with a frying pan. That's how flat his face is. He's jerking his thumb towards the door while one of his partners, maroon vest, blue fedora, points a gun at Bennett. Betty, a hand to her mouth, asks why this is happening. They did everything Blackie asked. Why won't he let them go? Bennett says, I was a fool. I should have known he'd never let us go. And the third goon agrees with him. Glad you know it. Let's go. The next panel, Blackie and Doc Ock have set up shop on the docks of the devil's pocket. Got it? We see a small ship, a tramp steamer, glowing in orange twilight, so the sun's going down on the Schuylkill River, and mobsters already aboard the ship are saying they're going to hang out here until their escort arrives, then they're going to flee to a foreign country where no one will ever be able to touch them. And then, the final two passengers come aboard. Gaxton, Dr. Octopus, a step behind him, has just arrived. 
Doc Ock tells him to hurry up and board the ship, that he's not letting the man out of his sight until he's paid his hundred grand. A hundred grand. You know I looked it up. That, in today's money, is $892,222.58. Doc Ock is poised to become a millionaire off of one day's work. Say what you want. That's impressive. Nice work if you can get it. Oh man, nice work if you can get it. But I guess when you got eight arms, you can get it. And Blackie says, don't worry, fella. It's aboard the ship. You'll get it. But unsuspected by any of those on board, there is still another passenger swinging onto the ship. I hope Blackie Gaxon's insured because he's kidnapped the Golden Liability's lady and the Golden Liability has just swung in. Spidey's thinking it's a good thing they used the car with his gizmo on it because he used it to follow them all the way here. Meantime, Blackie wasted no time getting out of that drab prison green. We see him pulling on a maroon blazer, a sky blue tie already on the white shirt he's wearing. Tie clip? Of course. Cufflinks? Come on, that's Blackie Gaxton. Of course. A cigar in his mouth and enforcer behind him, he steps onto the lower deck of the ship. Betty throws her hands up. Bennett rushes up to him, placing a hand on his shoulder, pleading, screaming. You can't do this, Blackie. I've done everything you asked. You're free now, just as you wanted to be. So my debt is canceled. You've got to let us go. Blackie's eyes look down at Bennett's hand. He says, I do, huh? And knocks Bennett out with a right cross to open page 11, screaming, this will show you that Blackie Gaxon doesn't have to do anything. Now I don't want to hear another peep out of you. As Betty screams in horror, Spidey swinging onto the ship, hears her scream and realizes they brought Betty onto the ship. Next panel, we get a caption box. But in his haste to reach Betty's side, Spider-Man carelessly slips on a coil of rope as he lands. And we see Spidey land awkwardly on the rope, rolling his ankle as he does. He calls himself a bonehead for not noticing it before. He bends down to check his foot and realizes it's sprained, just as he's spotted by two mafia goons with guns drawn. They tell him to get up because they're taking him to see the boss. In a final panel, along horizontal, we see Spidey let into a packed room with his hands raised. We've got the frying pan-faced gangster here, a cigarette dangling from his mouth, in shock at the sight of Spidey. The two guys who just caught Spidey, Blackie in the center of the room, Bennett and Betty at stage left behind him, another random goon, and finally Dr. Octopus. Spidey looks around the room and thinks he's really in for it. Blackie is pissed. Looking over his shoulder, he asks why his goons brought Spider-Man down to the lower deck. He calls them fools and tells them Spider-Man is dangerous. But Doc Ock's here and you know he's been itching for the rematch with Spidey. He says, don't worry about him, Gaxton. I've been waiting for a chance to have my revenge on him. You won't have to worry about Spider-Man. I promise you that. So no fear in this room, just all the ingredients for action. We turn the page and Dr. Octopus, the pincers on his metal arm snapping, continues. But there are some other things you can start worrying about, such as the fact that I'm taking over now. Now that I know the money is on board the ship, I need you no longer. So Dr. Octopus, to become the Mafia King, is just gonna take over Gaxton's crew right now. No honor among thieves and megalomaniacs then, huh? Guess not. But Spidey's heard enough. Webbing the ceiling with both hands, he kicks the gun out of the hand of the mobster in the green suit to his huh. left and in a fluid motion with the same leg, kicks the goon to his right wearing a tan suit, saying that since everybody else is making speeches, he might as well furnish some entertainment. Quipping. Spidey thinks fighting here won't be easy with a bad ankle and tells himself he needs to move fast enough to keep his foes off balance. We see him hanging from a web line, throwing a beautiful punch that knocks one of the mobsters into the other as he screams, first, I'll take care of the hired hands, like this. I'll save the best for last. And it was some punch because the green-suited mobster flies across the room and crashes into Dr. Octopus, both men flying backwards through the hatchway of the room and down the ladder. Spidey screams, oops, watch yourself. I wouldn't want you to skin your pink little knuckles when you fall down and go boom. And we got action. Next panel, Spidey lifting his legs to dodge a punch thrown by Tantu, hopes to himself that Doc Ock stays down and out of the fight long enough for Spidey to deal with Blackie's men. He cracks a blue-suited gang member across the jaw saying, nice try, playmate, but tells the man he isn't as easy as a helpless girl and her brother. In the final panel, we see Spidey's work fast. All his goons scattered, we see Blackie crawling on his hands and feet towards a pistol on the floor. Spidey hopping over a downed gang member to get to him as Betty looks on. And Spidey's friendly. He says, what's up, Blackie boy? Oh, trying to reach that pop gun, eh? Wait. Let me help you. Spidey grabs Blackie by the wrist to open 13 as the man fires two shots over Spidey's shoulder, screaming even Spider-Man can be stopped by a bullet. Spidey screams for Betty and Bennett to take cover and stay there until he can get the man's gun away. And Spidey better work fast because in the next panel, we see bullets flying above the heads of Bennett and Betty. And Bennett's not having it. He jumps in front of Betty, putting himself between his sister and the danger, telling her to stay down. Betty, her eyes wide in fear, tells Bennett to get down, that she's fine. He's in the line of fire and needs to stay back. She screams at Spider-Man to stop struggling with Blackie as a shot rings out and Bennett screams. Oh! The next panel, Betty screams Bennett's been shot and Spidey, a little jerkish in the moment, asks, I told him to stay back until I got Blackie's gun. Why didn't he listen? You're missing the point, Spidey. He's shot. Bennett, doubled over, gripping his gut with both arms, says, it, it's better this way. 
I was no good to anyone. Maybe now you can wash your hands of all of this. Before dropping to the floor, lifeless, Betty snaps. She rushes at Spidey and we see the moment from the action on page one as she beats her fist against Spidey's chest. She screams, it's your fault. If you hadn't interfered, if you hadn't tried to be a hero, it might not have happened. I hate you. Do you hear? I hate you. And Spidey tells her she can't mean that. Betty falls to her knees on the next panel over Bennett's body. She wishes Peter were there because he's the only one she can turn to now. She wanted Spidey's help, but now her brother is dead and it's Spider-Man's fault. Spidey standing here, wonders how he's going to convince the girl he loves that Spider-Man isn't to blame for her brother's death, but thinks that'll have to wait for another time as Blackie dashes towards the exit. Spidey follows. His heart filled with a burning rage, a vengeful Spider-Man goes after Blackie Gaxton. And we get a great shot of Spidey being spidery and racing along the sheer wall of the ship's passageway on all fours as Blackie fires over his shoulder from the ladder at the end of the hall. Spidey screams, I'll get you, Gaxton. There's no place on earth you can run to now. Dodging the bullet easily as Blackie tells him that he's ruined everything, but he's not done yet. 14 opens to Spidey as the unstoppable object. As Blackie cowers in a corner, his empty gun still raised in his hand, Spidey advances on him menacingly, not even slowing down as two dudes try to tackle him. His Spidey sense ablaze, he carries the men towards Blackie without flinching at all and goes full on James Bond. Dr. No telling Gaxton he counted the shots and Gaxton's empty. You want proof representation matters? I set the same joke up last episode and used Action Jackson as the guy because that's where I first heard the line. I had no idea idea was a bond line. I watched Dr. No on a whim and was shocked. Anyways, representation matters. Back to his spidey sense of blaze. He carries the men towards Blackie Gaxton without flinching at all and goes full on James Bond, Dr. No, telling Gaxton he counted the shots and Gaxton's empty. Spidey reaches Blackie in the next panel and even with the pain in his ankle, even with two guys trying to tackle him to the ground, Spidey grabs Blackie by the collar and lifts the man easily above his head, screaming, there's only one language a killer like you understands, before sending Blackie flying upside down through the air from a right hook that sends the gang lord crashing into two members rushing forward to help him. So Spidey's made short work of Blackie, Gaxton, and company, but business is about to pick up. The next panel, we see Dr. Octopus tossing gang members to the side in the hold of the ship. Others run from him in terror as he screams, Out of my way, you weaklings. I have a score to settle on the deck above. Using L2 and R2, he rises from the hold of the ship onto the top deck where he sees Spidey pummeling the final mobster and screams that this is the moment he's been waiting for since Spidey got him locked locked away. He says this is the wrap up. Translation, it's time for the showdown. Spidey hears him and gets nervous. He thinks he was afraid of this because he barely beat the one man hands team last time and he didn't have a bad foot then. In the final panel, Doc Ock sends R1 and L1 racing towards Spidey who leaps oh. out of the way, grabbing a rope overhead thinking he has to keep moving while Doc Ock screams that he's just prolonging the agony because he's going to be caught sooner or later. Ock is planning to maul the golden liability. 15 opens to Dr. Octopus using R1 to snap the rope Spidey is swinging on. He tells Spidey he won't be able to do any more swinging and Spidey replies, Just watch me, Doc. I'll give you a little lesson in aerogymnastics. Quipping. He flips onto a smokestack in the <gasps> next panel away from Doc Ock thinking, as usual, that he wishes he felt as confident as he sounds. But he doesn't have time to dwell on it. Dr. Octopus is right behind him. He screams that Spidey's agility is kid stuff because with his arms propelling him, he's way faster than Spidey. I don't believe that and the wall crawler doesn't either. Leaping from the smokestack, he screams, Is that so? How come I'm always way ahead of you, Big Mouth? And he's absolutely right before grabbing an overhang in the next panel with both hands and swinging into a ha! passageway thinking maybe he can get a breather here. He lands on his ankle and the pain almost buckles him, but he keeps going, throwing his arms wide in front of him to club two more Blackie's goons, knocking them out instantly while asking why they don't realize they aren't wanted. In the final panel, he races to the end of the walkway and grabbing the overhang, screams, maybe I can catch Doc Ock off guard by swinging up to the deck behind him. It's worth a try. Before backflipping to the level above him, it's a gorgeous panel. Spidey really is going agility crazy on a bad foot. All chest, no legs. But 16 opens to Doc Ock and you know he's come to play. His lower arms holding him high above the ground. He sends R1 rocketing towards Spidey and manages to grab the webhead's left bicep, screaming, I expected you to try something like that. Now I've got you. But Spidey's not done. He grabs a nearby rope and pulley. Spinning it above his head, he chucks the chocolate block at Doc Ock, wrapping up the villain's lower metallic arms, causing Octopus to lose his balance. You with me? Spidey screams, there. 
Pretty good night, eh? What a Boy Scout I'd make. Before diving into the cargo hold as Dr. Octopus screams that as soon as he gets out of the rope, he's gonna end Spidey's career for good. And Spidey in the final panel is racing through the darkness of the cargo hold, grabbing at his sprained ankle as Doc Ock gives chase. Spidey laments his career choice saying, yeah, some career. No vacations, no pension plan, not even a salary. Go ahead and end it. Who cares? I care, Spidey, keep going. 17 opens to Spidey spinning around and webbing the hatchway behind him shut, thinking that this will stop the rushing doctor. But he couldn't be further from the truth. Ock's mechanical arms punch through his webbing easily as he screams that he'll be through it in a second from the other side. He wasn't lying because the next panel we see the one-man hands team corner our favorite wall crawl on a high platform in the engine room. Using the tools to rise to the platform Spidey's on, he shoots out the ones in both directions, pinning Spidey in and gloating. Now I've got you trapped. But we know the golden liability does some of his best work. From the corner, grabbing a nearby fire extinguisher, Spidey sprays the foam full on in Dr. Octopus's face as the villain sets his human feet on the railing. Spidey screams, Not yet you have it. Have a whiff of some chemical foam from the fire extinguisher first. Spidey thinks, This is nutty. That's like being on a merry-go-round. I'm not doing Betty or myself any good this way. I've got to find a way to beat him. As Doc Ock's arms begin to surround him, we see Spidey, agility on, Best ever. Huh. Dive through the arms ha. under the cover of the phone oh. thinking he's got to make sure Betty is alright. Meantime. There is no honor amongst thieves on this ship as we see two of Blackie's goons below deck in a separate room. One wearing a brown suit, red tie, looks Asian. The other a white guy, SJB suit, maroon tie. They're in the room with the 100 grand. And brown suit, closing the lid of the briefcase, tells SJB that in all this commotion, their lives aren't worth a plug nickel. SJB agrees saying he knows what brown suit's getting at and they decide to take the 100,000 and hightail it out of there. But they're not going to go alone. Brown suit screams, and we'll take you for a hostage. I've got a hunch Spider-Man won't bother us if he thinks you'll be in danger. And Betty has had enough of the damsel in distress bit. It's a beautifully drawn panel. She's tugging back against the guy grabbing her wrist, slightly crouched, her feet set in her green heels. She struggles against the man screaming, no, let me go. I don't care if you shoot me. I won't go with you. Do you hear me? I won't. 18 opens with two metal arms shooting out past Betty who covers her eyes as they knock out both men easily. Octopus says, naturally you won't my dear, because you're going with me. The shock of the moment makes Betty cover her eyes and faint. The next panel we see Dr. Octopus on the deck of the ship, the briefcase of money held in L1 as he stares out onto the Skookoo where a launch boat is pulling up. He thinks it's good that Betty fainted because now he can kidnap her without her screaming. When he goes to touch her however, he gets clobbered as Spidey hurls himself towards Octopus, crashing his entire body into 008's face, screaming, take your hands off her! Spidey in the nick of time throwing 160 pounds of pure arachnal muscle into the one-man hand team face. Ah, barely able to get his right arm up to shield himself, screams Spider-Man before they both tumble to the floor together behind an unconscious Betty. Dynamic panel in a golden rod space. Ditko. Working. Ox not stupid, seeing the ferocity Spidey just attacked with over Betty, he decides he wants no parts of the girl. Instead, he's gonna get Spidey to follow him onto the launch boat. There in the confined space, he thinks he'll have the advantage over Spidey's agility. Spidey tries to stand and follow, but his ankle gives out and he buckles. He falls back onto the deck as Dr. Octopus leaps over the side of the ship. Straddling the launch with the twos, he lands on the hood of the boat taunting Spidey saying, You want me Spider-Man? Come and get me, if you dare. And Spidey knows it's a trap, but a Spidey's gotta do what a Spidey's gotta do. Web swinging off the side of the ship, his legs out in front of him, he thinks he knows the odds are in his favor on that smaller boat. It'll be harder for me to dodge his arms, but I can't quit now. I just can't. 19 opens to Spidey landing on the roof of the launch boat, both fists raised, ready for action, screaming. I knew they shouldn't have set you free, Octopus, but I've got enough on you now to send you back for a long, long time. Right before Spidey touches down onto the lander. That's bravery because getting in close to Dr. Octopus ain't easy and never advised. The ship captain in a blue hat, pink striped sailor shirt, stares through the window of the captain's deck of the launch in wide-eyed horror. And Ock's been waiting for this moment. He extends his left hand, bolsters right into a fist and screams, You're whistling in the dark, Spider-Man. You'll never leave this launch alive. Right before Spidey touches down onto the launch, huh. Spidey grabs hold of R1 with his right hand to create an opening and swipes at Doc Ock's jaw with his left, but the swing is easily swallowed up by L1 as Dr. Octopus screams, No matter how strong you are, my arms are stronger and even faster. The next panel, the ship's captain has seen enough. 
screaming that he agreed to pick up Blackie Gaxton, not too battling furies. He dies over the side of the speeding ship, having it race up the Schuylkill with no driver. The furies are the deities of Venice and Greek mythology who spring from the sea, so some dark sailor's humor as he breaks the cardinal rule of captains and refuses to go down with his ship. Doc Ock, feeling the tide turning, tells Spider-Man he can tell the webhead's getting weaker and that he isn't surprised. Spidey's only got human arms and Doc Ock's extra appendages never get tired. But Spidey's one rule ain't change. Fist, swing him if you got him. And we see Spidey throwing punches that Doc Ock is dodging easily. And Spidey's thinking that the man is right, that he can't take much more of this. I'm sure Spidey could handle it on two legs, but he's been fighting literally on one foot since he landed on top of the launch. Doc Ock can smell his victory. In the middle of their violent tango, he starts monologuing fierce. I've waited a long time for this moment, but I never thought you'd make it so easy for me to get my final revenge. He continues his rant into the final panel. I thought I'd have to search for you to wait. Who's that? The camera zooms out and we see a police boat on the Schuylkill approaching the launch as it speeds past. One of the officers screams, Ahoy the ship! This is the police! We noticed your boat out of control! Stand by! We're coming aboard to investigate! Tony opens to Spidey thinking and Dr. Octopus saying essentially the same thing as they fight in a tangle of mechanical arms. Spidey's thinking it's only seconds until the police boat catches up to them and he needs to stop Octopus now. Oc saying he has plenty of time to end the war crawler before the police board. Two men with plans, but what's that old saying of mice and men? The launch smashes headlong into a piling in the next panel, sending both Spidey and Doc flying from the ship and into the Scoopy River. It's a beautiful panel that reminds me of the speedboat chase scene at the end of the movie Face Off starring Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, when both men are hurled from the boat after it crashes into a piling. John Woo getting a little inspiration from the pages of ASM? I can't be deconvinced. Spidey hits the water in the next panel and immediately begins swimming towards shore thinking he got lucky. The crash happened just in the nick of time. Not wanting to explain this to the police, he climbs onto the beach and scrambles up the side of a nearby building, watching Philly PD round up Blackie Gacton's gang. From the sheer wall, Spidey thinks, made it. But it looks as though Doc Ock got away too. Maybe it's just as well. Next time we meet, I don't want to be held back by a useless ankle. And in the final panel, we get a long horizontal shot. Betty, her head down, drying her eyes with a handkerchief, is being escorted by the police chief, who tells her they've got everything under control and she's out of danger. He says when Blackie Gaxton came too, he told the police that Betty was an innocent pawn. Blackie Gaxton didn't have to do that. He's a ruthless mafioso boss. He did a good thing there. She was not involved. It was my fault. I mean, he's going to jail, but that's pretty noble. Betty's still distraught, of course. None of this news is going to bring Bennett back. Behind them, we see Gaxton's gang, Blackie in front, held at gunpoint by two more officers. One of the officers tells the chief that they've got everybody except Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man, who unbeknownst to the officer, is watching from a nearby rooftop. 21 opens to Spidey taking a seat on the ledge of the roof, pulling the boot from his right leg. He says, well, it's all over for now. As for me, if I wrap enough webbing tight around my ankle, I may be able to change to Peter Parker and walk without too much of a limp. The next panel, we see him web his ankle up securely while removing his mask, his street clothes in a neat folded pile beside him, as he continues. There, this will have to do. Now I've got to go to Betty. With her brother gone, she's all alone in the world. She'll need me more than ever. But now I can never tell her that I'm really Spider-Man. If I do, I'm sure to lose her forever. I'll have to keep my secret locked up inside me. For all time. That's so heartbreaking, Spidey. Like, Spidey is now a huge part of who Peter Parker is. If he has to keep this part of himself locked up inside of him for all time. That's a sad thought, so I can imagine how Pete's feeling right now. He probably feels like he could never be his full and true self with the girl that he loves. And so, the next panel we see the Goldenrod Kid back in the home of Bennett Brent, the girl he loves in his arms. Betty is wearing all black and mourning for her brother and is holding a handkerchief to her eyes. Pete says, I'm glad the police cleared you, Betty, but I know how you must feel about your brother. And Betty replies, Oh, Peter, he was always so weak, so headstrong. He got into bad company while he was at college. But still, I loved him. Poor Bennett. At least he ended like a man. So we know Betty's big on the ideas of honor and chivalry in men and is at least happy Bennett showed bravery in the end and protected her. The next panel, she walks over to the fireplace and we get a great close-up of her as she fiddles with the candlestick holder there, a tear running down her left eye. She says, In my shock, my rage, I blamed Spider-Man for his death. I realize now how wrong I was. It wasn't his fault. He was trying to help us. But still... I never want to see Spider-Man again. I couldn't bear being reminded of Bennett. Pete is just standing here wearing a stoic expression. He doesn't say anything as Betty continues into the next panel. Can you understand that, Peter? Or do I sound like a fool? Pete, stand-up guy that he is, replies, You could never sound like a fool to me, Betty. Of course I understand. And I'm sure Spider-Man would too, if he knew. But I know Pete's hurting. The final panel, we get a caption box. And then Peter Parker leaves Betty alone with her grief. 
as he slowly walks into the night, little dreaming of the new adventures and surprises which await him. And we see Pete walking Broad Street alone, his head down in the darkness, a full moon and twinkling stars in the sky above, his back to us, the burden of Spider-Man gigantic and looming large above him in the Philadelphia darkness. It's a beautiful panel. What a way to end it. And we're out. This is going to veer wildly into one of the many reasons why Nick Cage is one of the greatest action stars of all time. The action movies he was in had great plots. Betty getting her life together, getting a job at the Daily Bugle, and still being sucked back into the hard life of her brother reminds me, oddly enough, of the movie Gone in 60 Seconds. A movie where Nick Cage plays Aldo Reigns, a man forced back into a life of crime to help save his brother's life. At the end of the movie, when cornered by a police officer whose life Reigns has just saved, the police officer lets him go saying he understands why Reigns came back and broke the law. A brother's love is a brother's love. I think that statement can be stretched to a sibling's love, especially if the siblings experience hard knocks in their youth together. But he is absolutely a good person. But a brother's love is a brother's love. And in the city of brotherly love, what do you expect from the young Miss Brandt? This is the first issue since ASM number two when Spidey faced off against the Tinkerer that a villain escaped after a brawl. Dr. Octopus is a dangerous, dangerous man with a vendetta against the webhead, so I know we'll see him again, probably sooner than you think. Great issue. I love when Spidey travels for an adventure and Philly is a gorgeous city, so it was fun watching Ditko throw bits and pieces of Philly architecture into the story. I actually like Blackie Gaxon's character a lot, but I don't think we'll see him again. The art is also getting even sharper and the story's even tighter as we go forward. We're in a great stretch of Spidey Tells and I'm excited for what's next. That's the main episode of Me and My Friend Pete, and that's true. That's the main episode, but there is more Me and My Friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, patrons get a bonus show every week where I run through comic books from all over the multiverse of comics, past and present, from Marvel to DC to all points in between. This week, we have Black Panther Volume 4, Number 23, War Crimes. Remember way back in JJ's Beef when I spoke about two storms saving the lives of a group of superheroes targeted by a god during a civil war after the god killed one of them? Well, here's the fallout from that. King T'Challa and his new queen Aurora Monroe, better known the world over as the X-Man Storm, travel from Wakanda to attend the funeral of the fallen hero. We've got Black Widow vs. Dora Milaje, Black Panther vs. Captain America, and Black Power vs. the subtle subterfuge of American imperialism. You don't want to miss it. Shoot on over to patreon.com slash hspp and sign up to the Key Keeper or High Council tier now to find out the story of the King of Kings role in a world of superheroes divided. For patrons who sign up before the end of Season 1, we're wrapping Season 1 with Issue 25 of ASM, you receive a High Society publishing pen as a thank you. You know fashion is important to us here on Me and My Friend Pete, and what better way to show it than with a little razzle-dazzle for when you get suited and booted and need some flash for your lapel. All that said, thank you so much for listening. I had a blasty blast and I hope you did too. A very special thanks once again to the right minders, the key keepers, and the high council. Your support is the engine behind this wonderful crazy train we're on and I'm truly grateful you let me be the conductor. And to you all, I say, please take care. Please think of the world and please be true to yourself. And remember, with great power, <laughs> come on, you know the rest. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here. <laughs>